I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Come on, get the it off. bank is pillaged. Coins left on the floor, trays turned upside down. The vault was in complete disarray. And its president goes missing. Last night, the bank in Knoll was robbed. And we can't seem to locate your husband. Oh, no. Miles away in the swampy shallows, a gruesome clue surfaces. The body was still attached to the chair. That was just heinous. I mean, it was just unthinkable. And as quick as a gator's blink, detectives are mired in a deadly mystery. They interviewed everybody. Who could have done this? Only the swamp knows for sure. The Grand Lake of the Cherokees stretches like a snake in the shadow of the Ozark Mountains at the junction of Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. There's water snakes everywhere. A lot of times if you're in a boat, Going down along the shore under the trees, you gotta watch it, you'll see one hanging. The narrow inlet of Elk Cove is especially murky, which is why this area around the Cowskin Bridge is an ideal spot to make someone disappear. Wait, 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 right, don't be together! Don't do this! I've got kids! You're trying to! Come on! Let's go! Do it, don't do it! It's a regular Friday here in the small blue-collar town of Knoll, Missouri, population just south of 1,200. Pauline Coonrod is about to start her workday. Pauline Coonrod was the secretary of the State Bank of Knoll, who normally opened up, more or less ran the day-to-day operations along with the president, Dan Short. She got there and she seen that the doors was unlocked and that the keys in the bank were open. The building alarm seems to be turned off and that's worrying. 
Pauline knows only a handful of employees have that code. Oh, my Lord. The bank had been robbed. Oh, my Lord. Pauline first notified the owner of the bank, Don O'Brien, initially. This is Pauline down at the bank. We've been robbed. Uh, at which point they then called Lou Keeling, the county sheriff, who arrived on the scene. At 9 o'clock, the investigation's underway. Any bank robbery is a federal crime, so the sheriff's department calls in the FBI from Kansas City, and the lead fed on the case is Special Agent Liddell Farley. The first thing we saw on the floor in front of the doors was two spent 45 casings. Apparently, they had uh, shot the cameras out, and I think they spray-painted. The camera has also been re-aimed inward, which, due to height, means this was likely not just the work of one person. Given that the camera was some 10 feet from the floor, um, in order to reach the camera, someone had been hoisted up by another individual to gain that access. In doing so, that person left smudges on the wall. Hey, I look like a palm smudge to you. Huh? Small one, yeah. Let's go. After checking the front area, Agent Farley and the others shift their attention to the bank's main safe. You finding anything, officer? It's a mess. They even took the pennies. <laughs> Unbelievable. The vault had been rummaged through, pillaged, coins left on the floor, trays turned upside down. The vault was in complete disarray. How much do you think they got away with? Ain't no telling. They took $71,000. $34,000 of which was in $100 bills. Some $8,000 was in coins. We estimated that that amount of coins would have been contained in approximately eight or nine canvas coin bags. I think it's smart to walk out with, what, 50, 60 pounds of coins with them? Now, that's a lot of pounds to carry. I wouldn't have taken them. I would have got the paper money and take with the coins. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, approximately what time were you here this morning? Oh, about eight Meanwhile, Sheriff Keeling talks with bank employees especially anyone who could have disabled the alarm. Are you the only one who has a key to this no, particular? No, no, the president, Dan Short, he has the other key. Is this uh, routine for Mr. Short to be late or missing? No, no, he's the president of the bank. He's always here. He's always here. They followed up and, and contacted all the bank employees, and the one they right, couldn't find was Dan Short. Let's go get him. Got an address? Dan lived in a house some 15 miles from the, the bank. When Sheriff Keeling went to the residence of Dan Short looking for him, they found that his truck was missing, as was he. It's more than a little troubling, especially because the robbery has the markings of an inside job. We explored all possibilities at that point. One was that Dan Short himself was involved and had absconded in his truck. Another was that Dan Short was taken hostage at his residence, taken to the bank, and his whereabouts were unknown. Is it possible Dan Short is behind the theft of his own bank? To those who know him, the idea is absurd. 
He was respected in the community. It was not the type of person who would render or be of any threat to anyone. He was uh, a well-liked guy, uh, kind of a quiet in nature. He liked to go to the ball games and stuff. But now Dan Short is the president of a bank that's been robbed by someone with keys and the alarm code. So investigators need to find him, and fast. A search was organized fairly quickly, and there was about 30 or 40 volunteers for that. Most of the officers were out in the area combing the countryside for Dan Short or his truck. They tried to track credit cards, uh, be sure he wasn't spending money, and it's nowhere to be found. Sheriff's office. Deputy Schlesman. Agent Varley. As police comb the area for the missing bank president, news of the heist hits the town like a tornado. All sorts of tips start coming in from folks just trying to help out. No, ma'am, I don't think Elvis had anything to do with this. Okay. Third Elvis sighting this week. What color was the truck? And nobody there recognizes it? Thank you very much. Hey, Don, I think we may have found our red truck. Really? Mr. Short's truck was left next to a vacant building to the west of Knoll, some three or four miles, on the premises of an ongoing business whose employees discovered the truck. There's a lot of change taken with it, rolls and nickels, and some of those items were found in the back of the truck. Looks like Dan's truck was used in the robbery, but there are no fingerprints or blood that might tell investigators what happened or who was involved. We conducted an extensive manhunt in the proximity around where his vehicle was found and expanded it on out. While the search continues, Liddell Farley tracks down Dan's estranged wife. Joyce Short lives up in St. Louis with their teenage daughter, Melanie. Their son is away at college. So why exactly are you here? Mrs. Short, it seems that last night the bank in Knoll was robbed. What? What's more important, we can't seem to locate your husband. Oh, no. She and Dan had been married some 20 years uh, and had been separated um, some year and a half. And as I understood it, that was by Joyce's choice. Joyce says she has no idea about any robbery or where Dan might be now. Anyone? Anyone? Is that your daughter? Yes, this is Melanie. Would you mind if I spoke with her, too? Of course. Is that right if I do it privately? Uh, sure. Sure. When Agent Farley questions 17-year-old Melanie Short, he learns some disturbing things. I'm afraid I have some bad news. Dan's daughter, Melanie, did state that her father had been drinking too much in the days prior to this. You noticed any reason why he would do that? Yeah, he told me, um... He would have to do something immoral at the bank or get fired. It's an odd thing to say to your daughter. And Agent Farley decides they'd better dig a little deeper into Dan Short's past. They start by examining his banking practices. These numbers just aren't adding up. He got along fairly well with people. Of course, being the business he was in, uh, when people didn't pay their loans, he tried to collect. I'm sure there's some animosity generated there. There always is. This is Agent Farley down at the Bank of Knoll. I was wondering if you guys had come up with anything yet. 
They expect to find some disgruntled bank customers. But what they don't expect is that recently, Dan has been under investigation by banking regulators. You don't say. All right, all right, thanks so much. It looks like Mr. Short is in a spot of trouble. At the time of this crime, there were some questionable loans, that being uh, maybe loans outside of normal policy of good lending practices, uh, which more than anything else, put Dan in the bad light with the owners of the bank. There's nothing illegal about those loans. They were just simply uh, outside the lending practices. He was going in after hours and trying to see who was behind and who was paying and stuff like that. He had loans out to people who may have had problems paying them back. Perhaps one of them got angry and took it out on the bank president. You think it's somebody who couldn't pay, who, who grabbed Short to get the cash? Or Short was in on it. I mean, he was on the hot seat too. Maybe it was somebody that he turned down for a loan, somebody looking to get even. I'm sorry, just the, your income doesn't support it. We looked at the possibility of retaliation or vengeance against Dan's management of the bank. None of that developed. If anything, he was probably too lenient with the management of the bank's assets. To investigators, it doesn't look like Dan was the victim of an angry customer. Instead, is it possible that Dan Short shorted his own bank by $71,000? Of course, at that time, we didn't know. This one of the darnest things I ever got involved in. <laughs> Coming up, when a body surfaces. He was alive and conscious when he's thrown into the water. That made an already horrible crime even worse. Detectives start chasing a cold-blooded killer. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Whenever a bank is robbed overnight and its senior manager is nowhere to be found, it raises eyebrows. So when thieves got away with $71,000 from the State Bank of Knoll in Missouri in the fall of 1989, the town starts buzzing with talk of missing bank president Dan Short. Of course, everybody just in awe, you know, because he was a well-known figure in the city. And, you know, because he was, he was everybody's banker. And they were uh, just wondering who could have done it, who could have done it. In the late morning after the heist, Deputy Don Schlesman finds a glaring problem with the idea that Mr. Short was one of the robbers. Hey, Sheriff. Agent Farley, you might want to come look at this. Well, they got in the vault and got quite a bit of money out of it, but uh, there was about 100000 in just a file cabinet. Holy cow. But they didn't find it. Short knew about it, but apparently he didn't tell them. Why would he leave this much cash behind and take, what, you know, 50 pounds of rolled quarters with him? Well, maybe our missing president isn't missing by choice. What's more, Dan doesn't appear to be cash-strapped. And despite his daughter Melanie's statement that he was worried about doing something unethical, it seems more likely he was referring to his habit of overextending his bank loans. Doesn't make any sense. But if he didn't have reason to commit the robbery, it raises a troubling question. What if he was forced to do it? As you can imagine, at this point, the local community was stirred up, highly concerned. Dan Short was known throughout, so there was concern about him being missing. There was concern about who had done it, and there was concern about those people were still at large. Five days later, on October 11th, Pauline Ham and her boyfriend Kenneth Randall are fishing over in the murky shallows of the Grand Lake of the Cherokees, 20 miles outside of Knoll. I think we're going to have to rely on the grocery store for our fish tonight. Mrs. Ham and Mr. Randall were uh, motoring out to uh, their fishing hole. They were hoping to snag some largemouth bass. Maybe over by that log there would do a little bit better. Instead, near the cowskin bridge, they find something gruesome. That's not a stump. Let's try a little closer. At first glance, they thought they had seen perhaps an early Halloween uh, dummy thrown from the bridge. That's a body in the water. Floating in the water is a bloated body. That's exactly what it is. There's a body out here in the water. The body was... uh in a state of decomposure, and it was obviously filled with liquid and stuff like that. It uh, pretty bad. They thought that was just heinous. I mean, it was just unthinkable. The FBI and local police respond to the scene and interview Ham and Randall. Just start from the very beginning and tell me exactly what you found. Well, we were out fishing, just enjoying the day, and we see this body. Oh, my God. It's standard procedure to question anyone who discovers a body, but it's clear they don't know much. There was never any indication or development that either Mr. Randall or 
Pauline Ham were involved in any in any way except for the discovering and reporting the, the sighting of the body. Crime scene technicians fish the body out of the water, and it's immediately clear this guy didn't just drown. The body was still attached to the chair, which contained an old-fashioned chain hoist and a concrete block, all taped to the chair. It's not hard to ID the body. Inside the back pocket of his pants is his wallet, still stuffed with bills, and his banker's association card. Dan Short. We found him. It was beginning to uh, disfigure because of that time in the water and now exposure to the air. But it was uh, obvious to all of those present that knew Dan Short, that, that indeed was the body of Dan Short. Crime scene investigators scour the area for evidence, packing up the chair, the concrete block, and the chains. To them, it looks like some sort of sadistic killing device. It was obvious that Mr. Short had been taped himself to the chair in an upright position, thrown off the bridge into the lake. An autopsy later confirms his likely time of death, five days earlier, around the same time of the robbery. And the story only gets worse. The examiner's office determined that Mr. Short was alive and conscious when he was thrown into the water, and the cause of death was drowning. That made a, an already horrible crime even worse and one that you just can't hardly comprehend, just thinking about his last minutes. Drowning was much more sadistic than most other manners, including a mere gunshot, which would be obviously quick and less painful. A common bank robbery and missing persons case has now turned into a homicide, an especially nasty one. For a motive as simple as money, it sure is an elaborately evil way to kill a man. Of course, the number one question was, who? After finding the body, the FBI casts a wider net for suspects. What about this guy? Well, what's his record? Robbery. Well, bring him in. One of these has got to pay off. Somebody knows something. They interviewed everybody. I may have been a suspect. I don't know. <laughs> But a week later, it's the Great Lake of the Cherokees that once again provides the next break in the case. Roddy Foreman is fishing and found parts of the chair. So he bagged him up and took him home and then he contacted the authorities. A piece of tape was brought to my attention which reflected uh, greasy fingerprints on one end of the tape. The FBI sent it to their lab and uh, let them do the comparisons. And they determined that it was the same chair and the tape came from the same roll, same brand. The fingerprints on the tape change everything. Hopes run high that it'll match up with a known criminal in the FBI database. At that point, the fingerprints were very classifiable, very good quality so they were queried through the existing fingerprint yeah, the data bank, which was barely in existence at that point. 
You are kidding me. Ugh. There's no match All on right. file. Thanks. Despite the setback, Break. investigators are by no means stuck. They continue to get a steady stream of leads. Deputy Schlesman. Especially when they put it out that they're looking for people displaying unreasonable amounts of change. There's a phone call uh, that went into the Joplin Police Department from some female that said the Gossfi brothers had a lot of change. All right, we'll be sure to follow up on that. Thank you. It's a small town. The local police know just who she's talking about. 23-year-old Joe Agofsky actually applied once to be a reserve deputy, and his 18-year-old brother Shannon was known around town for his martial arts skills. Agent Farley sits down with the brothers to check out the lead. I just got a few things to go over with you boys today. The Agofsky brothers were seemingly upstanding citizens, no criminal record. Do you own any 45 caliber weapons? Uh, yeah, I got two of them. Would you be willing to turn them over to my department so we could test them for ballistics? Sure, no problem. Joe Ogofsky hands over his weapons to the FBI so the lab can test the guns against the shell casings found on the floor of the bank. All right, here they are. They were real cooperative. They let him shoot their 45s. Uh, they let him test fire the guns. But the authorities' hopes for quickly closing the case are soon dashed. The two weapons were found to not be identical to those casings left in the bank. Would agree to come down to the station. Also, both brothers have alibis for the night of the murder. Let's talk about October 5th. Shannon claimed he was with his mother at her residence in Noel, Missouri, throughout the whole night yeah, after was, uh, teaching a karate class. Joe had a girlfriend that he later married, uh, and she alibied for him. Just to be certain, Agent Farley asked the brothers to come to the station to be fingerprinted. Next finger. Joe gave his prints to the FBI, and they didn't match. So that pretty well let him off the hook there. But before Shannon can get his prints taken, investigators suddenly uncover a new lead. An insurance policy? And that forces the whole case to change course. There were life insurance policies held by Mr. Short. The beneficiary was Joyce Short, his wife. She would have stood to receive those funds as well as the estate itself upon his death. <laughs> the insurance policy is worth no small figure. Suddenly, it's looking like Dan's estranged wife, Joyce Short, may have had several reasons to want her husband to disappear. 200,000 reasons, in fact. They would have been joint property in Missouri, so the estate would have been hers without a will. Yes, if it's Greed a is a powerful motive, and if she harbored some secret grudge against her husband, it could explain the killing. About the kids. Could Joyce have engineered this brutal swamp murder? A guy's wife is going to be a suspect, especially in the situation that they were in. They were separated at the time. Everybody always wonders, you know, is there any animosity there? Could this have been it? Agent Farley returns to St. Louis to question Joyce again. Look, I know this might be tough, but I would like to revisit your separation. I'm sorry, we have been over this a thousand times. And this is how we get to the bottom of a few things. No, doing your job would be finding the man who killed the father of my children. 
Joyce balks at the personal questions. It just wasn't working for us to be together anymore. That is all you need to know. To detectives, there's got to be more to this failed love story. And after reviewing records at the bank, Agent Farley thinks he may have found it. Both he and Joyce worked at the, the State Bank of Knoll for a period of time before their separation. Turns out, back when her husband was issuing millions of dollars worth of questionable loans, Joyce was doing clerical work at the bank. Did the couple's marriage fall apart over a shady business deal? Agent Farley informs Joyce that they'd like to question her again, this time down at the station. Investigators ask Joyce to take a polygraph. They tell her it's just so they can rule her out as a suspect. Yes. Prior to this time, I wasn't too big of a fan on polygraphs, but uh, this kind of made me a believer in him. Have you been aware of investigations into improper loans that your husband authorized? Yes. Did you murder your husband? No. Do you have any responsibility in the death of your husband? No. Mrs. Short was interviewed on two occasions with the use of the polygraph, both of which were indicative of deception, primarily through a question of responsibility. The FBI decides to change the wording and brings Joyce back for a third polygraph. No. With the third polygraph test that Joyce Short was given, she was cleared of any involvement because she passed that one. She explained to me that if there's any deception indication, it was simply that she did, in fact, feel responsible for having left him alone when she moved to St. Louis. She probably felt that if she had been living with him, this wouldn't have happened, maybe. We have gone down every dead road, and when you go down dead roads, you start back at the very beginning. That's where we With are. With Joyce right off the FBI's radar, investigators need to reevaluate. They need to go back to the evidence that washed up on the muddy bank of the Grand Lake of the Cherokees and find a match for that fingerprint on the duct tape. We need an arrest, gentlemen. This town needs an arrest. Then three weeks after the bank robbery, detectives get a tip that a local woman named Anita Myers has been showing off a substantial amount of coins. Gotcha. It's worth checking out. In interviewing Anita Myers, uh, she reported they were found in shallow water. Of course, no paper wrapping, just loose coins. So you're walking along the lake looking for arrowheads and you just, what, see something shiny? I sure did. Initially, she volunteered that the amount was in the $200 area. But Agent Farley doesn't buy her story and presses her. A couple hundred dollars, yeah. huh? However, later on, she did finally admit that they were more like two or 3000 but that she figured that uh, if she's going to get in trouble for finding coins and not reporting them initially, $200 about all the trouble she was willing to get into. Anita's stash includes a fair amount of quarters and dimes, and at first, investigators think the swamp may have turned up another lead. But an examination of the coins reveals no evidence that matches them to those stolen from the Bank of Knoll. It's another dead end. The more time that passes, the lesser chances they'll have of solving this perplexing robbery homicide. It's been one month since the murder of Dan Short, and the robbery of the State Bank of Knoll. 
and despite multiple leads, investigators are still no closer to making an arrest. But as they pour over police reports and tips that came around the time of the robbery, something catches Agent Farley's eye. A few days before the murder, a man named Wayne Boutain came to the station to report a burglary. He goes and notifies city marshals that, hey, I'm missing a set of chain falls. According to the police report, the description matches the chain falls, also known as a chain hoist, used to drown Dan Short. In the frantic days after the murder, no one followed up. Now, Deputy Schlesman does. I was using the chain hoist to work on my cars, and uh, I couldn't fit it in the truck when I was moving out. And when I came back, it was just gone. And when was this? About a week before those robberies. Can you tell me what it looked like? Wayne Boutain described that chain hoist exactly as it was. It had a particular nick out of it. And so that's how they knew that that was the, the same chain. He could uh, positively identify those chain poles as the one that had belonged to him. Uh, with the chain coming down. That, Deputy you know, Schlesman is suspicious. Uh, Wayne could be an innocent guy whose gear was stolen. But it's also not unusual for a killer to come forward with some evidence to try and keep tabs on an investigation. And Schlesman's suspicions deepen when he considers Wayne's police record. He is not your average upstanding citizen. Um, I should tell you, I have a, uh, a criminal record. He admitted up front that he was a fugitive from the state of Minnesota for a probation violation on a possession of marijuana. That was an issue that concerned us greatly as to his credibility. But Wayne insists he had nothing to do with the murder. I'm just trying to be helpful. We appreciate it kindly, but we do have to check out your story. Police invite Wayne to prove his innocence by taking a polygraph. Were you involved in the planning or the execution of the robbery of the bank? No. Were you involved directly or indirectly with the murder of Dan Short? No. He did pass the polygraph that they gave him on everything. Still, Wayne does end up proving critical to the investigation because he thinks he knows who took his chain hoist. But I know who did. Oh yeah, who's that? My neighbors, the Yagoski brothers. Wayne Boutin was the renter of uh, Sheila Gofsky, who was the, the Gofsky brothers' mother. Wayne lives next door to the Agofskys, the same two brothers who had been seen around town with a lot of change on hand just after the robbery. And they had already been questioned by police. Wayne said he had been working on his car in Sheila Gofsky's yard in front of his rental house. The chain was hung across the fence that they shared and, and the Yagoski uh, boys knew about it because they'd come by it a lot right there. Finally, investigators think they're onto something. This is good. This is very good. The FBI conducts a thorough background check on the Yagoskis and the results are pretty damning. Their father had been working for some company and died in a plane crash and uh, I guess they'd get some insurance money. Apparently that windfall didn't last long. By the autumn of the bank robbery, Joe had run through most of his $40,000 trust, and Shannon had just turned 18, losing his $600 a month in Social Security survivor benefits. Those boys were looking for another jackpot. I was 
It's looking quite possible that the Agofsky brothers had the motive, and what at first had looked like ironclad alibis, in fact, were not. Shannon was with his mother, and Joe was with his girlfriend. And they're still holding to that? Joe Agofsky's fingerprints didn't match the prints on the duct tape from the scene. But then investigators remember that Shannon has yet to provide his prints. Shannon never came in. Yeah, well, that's got to change. We have got to get a court order. To get a warrant for Shannon's fingerprints, they need more evidence. So they ask him to take a polygraph, and he agrees. But when asked point blank about the murder... Did you kill Dan Short? No. The polygraph shows no deception. Did you steal a chain hoist from Wayne Boutain? No. And when Shannon denies stealing Wayne's chain hoist, the polygrapher only notes some indications of deception. It's a huge blow to the investigation. A failed polygraph would have allowed them to get a warrant for Shannon's prints. Now they've got a problem. All roads seem to lead back to the brothers. But how are they going to get Shannon's fingerprints, and will they even match? We have got to get a warrant to get those prints, and we do not have enough evidence right now to convince a judge. Investigators spend months and months building their case, but the Agofsky family circles the wagons, refusing to cooperate, and the investigation lags. Finally, Agent Farley digs through the Agofsky brothers' bank accounts to see if he can notice any irregularities. And sure enough, they pop up. All in the bank robbery, Joe Gowski spent almost $19,000 for various purchases. In fact, both Shannon and Joe had bought cars the following Tuesday after the robbery. All those expenses were paid for by Joe uh, with primarily $100 bills. To police, Benjamin Franklin had never looked so good. On December 12, 1990, 14 months after Dan Short was dumped in the swampy waters of Elk Cove. They get the green light. All right, well, thank you very much. A federal grand jury subpoena was issued for the fingerprints and testimony of Shannon Nagofsky, at which point I took his fingerprints in the office of the U.S. Marshal. Ain't it true there's a way to beat fingerprints? Asking that now, I bet you wish there was a way to beat fingerprints, but no, sir. Fingerprint identification is a sure science that's not really refutable. Those fingerprints were immediately provided to the FBI laboratory. If they match those found on the duct tape, it'll be damning evidence indeed. Meanwhile, as they wait for results on the prints, detectives interview Gant Sanders, who's being investigated for unrelated burglaries in the area. Sanders was, uh, of course, the same age as the Oskies, and they knew each other, and they ran together. Given his connection with the brothers, the FBI presses him hard. Gant admits that back in the summer of 1989, Joe Ogofsky asked him a specific favor in regards to the Bank of Knoll. So, Gant, didn't your dad redo that bank? Yeah, so what? So uh, maybe you can get us them blueprints for it. Since Gant's father designed the bank, it's an incriminating request, and that's not all. Seems like it'd be pretty easy to follow an executive home and make him open a vault. 
<laughs> Don't you think? Really? But it's all hearsay from a less than credible source. Then, one month after Shannon's prints were taken, the analysis comes back. I was alerted to the fact that the tape that was found by Rowdy Foreman contained two fingerprints of Shannon Agafsky, a sure identification. They were Shannon's prints. It's the final nail in the coffin. In March of 1992, Joe and Shannon Agafsky were indicted by the federal grand jury in Springfield, Missouri. The brothers are arrested and charged with kidnapping and federal bank robbery with the use of a firearm. And at the trial, based on all the interviews, polygraphs, and evidence collected, prosecutors reconstruct what happened that horrible night. According to his neighbors, there were loud noises outside Dan Short's home sometime around 2 a.m. Whatever they heard could have been some kind of disturbance here at the house at the time he would have been abducted. Wake up, Mr. President. Joe and Shannon Agofsky broke into Dan Short's home and kidnapped him at gunpoint. Come on, wait a minute. Witnesses say they heard a pickup truck drive away around 2.30 a.m., which means the Agofsky brothers probably arrived at the bank shortly before 3. Open this door. With Dan as their hostage. If I hear an alarm, you're going to hear the sound of a gunshot, and then Jesus welcoming you into his arms. Open it now. Don't get the door open. And hurry up. Get After Dan got get them it. into the bank and turned off the alarm, they went to work on the surveillance cameras. Because of the smaller hand smudge next to the camera, investigators think there may have been a third accomplice who spray-painted the camera lens and turned it around. Yep, crack her open. I know you know that combination. Come on, come on, open that door. Get in there, get down. Don't you move, Dan. Once Dan, inside, the brothers trashed the vault like the unprofessional thieves they were. It was around in 71,000. Rough estimate in the amount of coins they took was $8,000. Come on, Shannon, hurry up. But Short succeeded in one way. He here. didn't tell them about the additional $100,000 hidden in the file cabinet. Get out that door before I shoot you in the face, go! And it appears that he was transported from there to uh, the bridge, more than likely in a van where they could set him inside there, where he'd have room. They drove 10 miles across the border to Oklahoma and the Grand Lake of the Cherokees. And in the middle of the cowskin bridge, deserted in the dead of night, the van pulled to a stop. Come on, Dan. Do this. Prosecutors believe Joe and Shannon then used duct tape to bind the terrified 51-year-old to a kitchen chair, weighted down by a heavy concrete brick. I won't tell Dan, anybody. shut Don't up. Don't do this. Don't do shut. this. Mr. Short's hands were bound together in the front of the duct tape, gray duct tape. Uh, his legs were bound, and his ankle was taped to this apparatus of the chair. At the last minute, Shannon furiously taped the chain falls around Dan Short for added weight. They must have been in a hurry to get those on there because the way they were taped, haphazardly like, I'm in a hurry. Later, Shannon would reveal to an informant exactly what happened on that bridge. He said when he and his brother Joe threw Dan Short into the lake, Dan was begging, pleading for his life, and that he, Shannon, was laughing 
Time to go swimming? Ready to go swimming? The autopsy confirmed that Dan Short was alive when he was shoved over the bridge into the inky water below. They're pretty cruel people. I mean, who would kill somebody that way? The brothers plead not guilty, insisting they were not involved. But the federal jury doesn't buy it. In September of that year, both were convicted in federal trial, Springfield, Missouri, as charged. There was a moratorium on the death penalty. And so they were given life in prison without parole. Since the conviction in 1992 in federal trial, both Shannon and Joe have been in federal custody, serving their life without parole, plus five-year sentences. Investigators never do identify the alleged third accomplice with a small handprint who helped with the bank robbery. But they're confident that no others were involved in the murder. Everybody in the county was relieved, but still mourned. Justice is eventually done, and people who commit crimes need to remember that don't always get away with it. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.